Welcome to the Lounge. As I mentioned, I have Darren Watts on today. We're talking about his storied and amazing career. I also want to mention a quick shout out to Pandemonium Comics and Games out of Boston. I picked up the Sentinel Comics starter set there um, and have been using that. It's very cool. Uh, so go out and check out the Sentinel Comics stuff that we talk about on here and um, check out his new Kickstarter. I'll see you folks on the other side. I'm here with Darren Watts. Uh, Darren, what's Delighted going on? To be here. I'm excited. It's Origins, man. All excited. Yeah. Um, so uh, I am the the Kickstarter for uh, Sentinel Comics RPG was mm-hmm. a smash success, mm-hmm. and one of the titles that we're working on for it uh, that they asked me to pitch in on is the fake history of Sentinel Comics going all the way back to the 1930s, basically. Um, you know, every every card in the game, you know, has the, the quotes from the comics of the, from all of the characters and everything for it. And from the beginning, you could tell there was a point to it, right? Like, these yeah. weren't just randomly tossed out. Yeah. Uh, that Christopher and Adam had, you know, they knew the world that they were building. Um, so I pitched them on the idea of kind of like, you know, the official handbook of the Sentinels universe kind of thing, right? The, the, so the, the, cool. the kind of Peter Sanderson kind of, you know, like gag for it. Um, and so it kind of, the, the book kind of serves as both the story of the meta setting, mm-hmm. you know, the world where these guys are publishers and comics come, have come out every month for, you know, 80 years of, of history. Um, but it is also your guide to, for the RPG, to the universe and to the publishing history. So the last quarter of the book uh, is a fake Overstreet guide to collecting that's the, the comics, right? So it's got every issue listed and what their prices were and everything. And all oh, that. that's so cool! And so we've got uh, you know, like part of what you could get when you bought in on the Kickstarter for it is the right to have your name in the book as a writer or artist who you know, like, was one of the people who created the heroes who are part of the Sentinel setting. Oh, a that's amazing. B now I'm a little mad I didn't back it. <laughs> well, you and, know. And I was like, well, this it'll, is a thing I'll pick up it'll later. It'll still be up. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's too late to get your name in it. Yeah, but filled, that's... We filled that part up for The it, next for it, thing so. you do where that's coming up, though, I will back that uh, Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So that's me and Chris McLaughlin are writing the, you know, like I said, the, 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 the overarching lore book for it. And then uh, as the series goes along, uh, you know, they're going to look... There'll be, like, deeper dives into each section of the universe, you know, as it goes on, there'll be like a, you know, street level Rook City crime thing. And then there'll also be like a space book and a, you know, magic book and that kind of thing. It's just divided I, them by subgenre. So, so, so I, um, I'm a huge Kevin book fan. We kind of discussed this earlier and I'm, I, I like to think of myself a little bit as a comic book historian. Likewise. Yeah. And that idea of, of the, the meta element of the comic book, uh, industry existing in a superhero world, writing about that world exactly right um, is it, yeah I love that concept it's, and, and it's it's a new take on it for RPGs yeah right? it, that's that the whole time that you're playing the game you're also aware 
of the publishing world's Above, on the level above you, right? You right. Know, kind of thing of like, oh, right, our comic has to actually like behave like a comic book. Right. That's what we're trying to recreate. That's what we're trying to do. Right? Yeah. So. And it's, and it, I, I, I've talked to people before that, that are fans and they're like, oh, it's always cheesy when they do that. But then I think of like um, when John Byrne uh, uh, was at the trial of Reed Richards right, right, right. Yeah. in a John Byrne written comic book. Absolutely. And it's a great story. Absolutely. Or Stan and Jack doing that back in the, you know, back in the day. Trying, getting turned away from Reed and Sue's wedding, right? Yeah. Like they're not allowed in, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and plus, it's also kind of a, a, it's an opportunity if you're not a comic history person to kind of like get an idea of, uh, the way, you know, kind of like the genres have changed over time, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I, I originally pitched Christopher on the idea of it. I was like, okay, I'm going to tell you a true story first. And so back in the 50s and early 60s, uh, DC also had a bullpen. Mm-hmm. They just didn't call it that, and they didn't promote right. it the way that Marvel did, you know, and kind right. of like build up their names. But there was an office in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and it was mostly uh, like the colorers... And the letterers and, you know, the, the, the support groups, right? Mm-hmm. Like most of the freelancers still work from home. But they had an office space, and so it was mostly kids. And then, like, Julie Schwartz as the boss Overseeing in the office, it, right? Yeah. Like running the thing. And there was this guy who would come in every day and go down to their break room. Big guy, probably in his, you know, early 60s. Thick neck. Nose had been broken a couple of times. Mm. Just looked like a tough guy kind of thing. would come in every day pour himself a big pot of coffee, light up a stogie, mm-hmm. and uh, take out the phone and the uh, racing guide, and they just bet on horses all day long. And none of these kids had the balls to actually ask him, like, what do you do here? What's your job? Why are you in our break room? You know, kind of thing. And they were scared of him, so nobody like actually would ask him. Yeah. And finally one of them goes to Julie Schwartz and says, Dave in the break room, what's his deal, right? Like, why is he here? He says, well, back before, back uh, before National turned into a comic book publisher back before action number one and everything they did pulps and they did some spicy pulps and got in trouble and like were busted for obscenity charges that guy claimed he was the publisher and he did two years in prison (laughs) he's had a job ever since a job quote unquote where he just comes in for you know and bets on horses all day long because they've taken care of him that's such an amazing right? story such, I mean, like dc was such like a mob operation before it became you mm-hmm. know like, yeah they've been taking care of this guy for 30 something years he has a no-show job of you know i'm like that's a true story now imagine the version of that i can tell about your company right right <laughs> in right. this book well so. like i think of like um i'm fascinated by um uh, Don and Leibowitz, yep. Jack yep. Leibowitz, absolutely. Yep. And you know, Donenfeld died practically penniless. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Leibowitz died in his office at yep. like ninety-eight. Yep, absolutely. Um, and absolutely. you know, like that story is is amazing to me. I I love all of those guys. That Major Wheeler, all of those people. All those are, guys. All those people are absolutely fascinating lives. And yeah. that's kind of the part of the fun of doing a book like this is being able to point stuff like that out to comic book fans today who don't know the history yeah right? so like everything that we everything we make fun of sentinel in the book doing is based on a true story about a real comic publisher even if it's not the same one oh, right? that's like we amazing do Fawcett, we do dc we do marvel we do you know yeah and there's like gags related to all of them and then there'll be an appendix in the back where we kind of explain this really happened this we've like totally exaggerated you know it wasn't really that badly mobbed up as we make sentinel 
you know, Sentinel Comics in its history for it is basically just a, you know, starts out as an operation just to launder money for the mob, for the St. Louis <laughs> mob, right? That's amazing. You know, and the, and the more we piled it on, the more, the you know, like at no point did Christopher and Adam ever say, no, stop. Yeah, Right. Like they, so We good. could not make enough fun of the, you know, of like the operation for it. They've been a delight to work for, so. Which, by the way, I can't help but think that somewhere Harry Donenfeld is so excited that, that somebody had his idea because that's what he wanted to do Absolutely, in, yes. is, is be a mobster and you know um, and found out he was doing better with the with the right, funny exactly. books exactly yeah well it, in our case we got the guy who winds up running the company he marries into the mob right? oh. like he marries the daughter of like one of St. Louis leading mobsters and he really wants to be a mobster but he's just not that much of a tough guy okay and so they're kind of you know like we can't really find a job for you and so they put him to work basically collecting uh, the the St. Louis mob controls the newsstands mm -hmm. and so he's collecting the ah. nickels and dimes from the kids for it because that's as, that's as tough as he can be right kind of right. for this and so through his management of the newsstands he gets into comics and winds up accidentally creating this like comic book empire oh, what a beautiful you know? <laughs> amalgam of, of some, some real right. historical characters I so, can imagine like um, I've always been fascinated by um the idea that at Fox Features Syndicate, mm -hmm. you had probably the largest pool of talent that's ever been assembled sure. in comics, sure. just slaving away for, uh, 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 was it Victor Fox? Victor Fox, absolutely, yeah. yep. Um, but well, that's that where- the very earliest, uh, that, that was Eisner's first studio was there? Yep. Well, those people were, yeah. Uh, Cole, I think. Yep, um, right. and And that's why that's why where Jack Kirby got the name King. Mm -hmm. um, yep. uh, that's so cool. I, that's the stuff that is always fascinating. Well, it's not always fascinating to me about comic books, but there was one point where I remember going, I've learned, I feel like I've learned all the, I've read all through all the official handbooks of the Marvel Universe and the Who's Who. Sure. I've read through all that stuff. I know this stuff inside and out. Um, I know the real name and home planet of every member of the Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> like, what more can I know? And right. I kind of got bored with it. And then I just started reading histories. And I'm like, this is awesome, too. Absolutely. So I love that it's parallel with, with you know, that's super. And I don't know the central. We read Steranko's books for it. We read, you know, uh, Gerard Jones, the, the, you know, Men of Tomorrow, mm -hmm. all those things, all those great histories of, uh, you know, I mean, these were crazy guys. Yeah. This was a very kind of wide open frontier, you know, like business with just a lot of people who really couldn't work anywhere else. Right? It was I mean, like punk rock a, before know, punk rock. Was, it was very punk. It was yeah. very DIY. It was very just kind of, you know, throw people in and they'll figure it out. It, you know, was kind of a wild and crazy history period. And it's it's cool to kind of like be able to point that out, Yeah, you know, to a new audience, to a new crowd. Of That's people who come into it because they're into the Sentinels game, right? Yeah. The Sentinels world. And these guys, I mean, the Sentinels fans for it love the lore of their world, right? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're way into it, which is great. I love, you know, like, dealing with the people that are enthusiastic. And so kind of, like, building this second world on top of it, where it's like, not only do you get to care about the heroes and the villains and the aliens and whatever for it, but now you get to care about the fake publishers yeah. who were doing all of this, yeah. right? You know? And, well, of course, in that world, there are also, like, a, a version of 
Christopher and, and Adam exists in that world as the publishers, right? <laughs> so, like, it just keeps going down. Right? Yeah. Where, like, you know, the, the meta levels of this story just keep getting deeper every time. Like so. a metaception thing, basically, exactly, happening right, where yeah. everything... Which yeah. version of, of, of you are we actually talking about here? Is this the version in which the supers are real? Or is this the super version in which, you know, oh, that's so they're cool. comic book characters? Or the version in which they're game characters pretending to be comic book characters? I've been fascinated by Sentinels of the, of the Multiverse since it first came out, and... I, I love I love superheroes. I love superhero games. Um, and when that was coming out, I was like, "Ooh, this seems really interesting." But for whatever reason, uh, I don't remember exactly why, I didn't jump on board. Right. And then later, on, I'm like, "Ooh, I really have to get into this." Oh, this is big. Like right, I yeah. felt a little right. intimidated. Sure. Um, like like I feel like a lot of people have with my hobbies. My you know of of. Like comic, it's kind of the first time I felt the, that way. That I think people felt about comic books for a long time is like, well, where do I start? Sure, right. Um, I feel like where I would start would be this. Well, the, yeah, the RPG, uh, you know, kind of like we'll put all of that stuff that's kind of accumulated around Sentinels, yeah, the various versions of the card game, all of the expansions and everything put it all in one place yeah and there is and on, I mean on top of this it's or underneath of it's this is all on top of a really excellent piece of RPG design mm -hmm. by Dave Chalker Cam Banks Philippe Nard and a couple of other people okay um, for, who have made a really excellent game that will support all of this stuff. Yeah. From that point, you know, like the rest of us have kind of come in, myself and Chris McLaughlin and Tim Rodriguez and other people are just kind of like ladling foolishness on top of their, uh, you know, on top of what is a, at core a really excellent game that I think people are going to appreciate when it, when, when it hits, right? When it's, yeah, it's, the, the, the quick start rules have been out for a while. Which I, show off, I have. They don't have, you know, character creation or anything right. in it yet, right? So the, the actual new game will be out Soonly, sometime yeah. in the next few months, it's, you know they're still yeah. putting it together. But well, the, the, you know they, you, and they're going to get my money. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. Good, good. But um, so, um, how long have you been working in in the game industry? Uh, I date back to my very first game uh, material was back was in Pyramid Magazine back when it was an actual magazine. Oh yeah, I remember. So um, my first full-time work with this was when I bought I, I was in traditional publishing I knew I, I learned to make books in okay. the book industry and we bought uh, Hero Games in 2001 okay for it and I we put out the fifth and sixth editions yeah that. I was the president of Hero at that time okay so, okay that was, um, that's why I transitioned to being full-time in games I guess it was 2001 that's so. awesome I, I remember that very specifically because that was the point where Hero, Hero Games went from being kind of like a cool little thing to being like, oh, this looks really professional. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, we were kind of, you know, we, we were we were taken by surprise by how successful it was. Right? Yeah, like we wanted, uh, you know, we'd been fans for it. It had kind of been lying fallow with cyber games for a while, and I knew Steve Long, and knew he had kind of like worked on a what was eventually going to be a fifth edition manuscript, mm -hmm. right? And I was a big fan of his stuff. We'd been friends for you know some time, and I was like. You know, it, I, I bet if we put out a book for these guys, I mean, that's, their website has thousands of visitors, mm -hmm. and they haven't put out a book in four years, right? Like, I bet if we made a book, they'd buy it, yeah. right? And so we put out fifth edition and sold 20,000 copies in the first, like, three months, right? Like, it just blew out the door, and we're like, 
oh, we actually have to work on this full time now, right? Like we all have to like leave our jobs because this has turned into a- <laughs> This is know, a real thing. All of a sudden we have an actual company here and we didn't really kind of expect that, right? Like we thought this would be kind of a little, oh, we'll do a little side thing, it'll be fun. Yeah. But yeah, no, it, we didn't really have that opportunity. That's awesome. And then eventually we did the video game and everything else that kind mm-hmm. of, but I got out of the owning things business uh, in uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, we, we broke up. The hero was was great. It was mm-hmm. great fun, and I'm very proud of everything that we did. Ten years is a long time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we put out over a hundred books, and we were kind of like coming to the end of that line, going like, if we were a real publishing company, we'd have made another game by now. Right. Right. Like we, if we were Green Ronin or something like that, we'd have moved on to the next thing. We only got together to do Hero, yeah. right? Like we didn't really have another thing that all of us wanted to work on. And as Hero was kind of, you know, like starting to slow down in sales and stuff, we were like, I think it's time to go do our solo albums, yeah. right? It's like yeah. we got to break up the band, or we're just not going to be friends anymore, right? yeah. you know, kind of thing. So I got out of the owning things side, and I freelanced for Doctor Who, for Star Trek, for you know, like a bunch of other stuff since that, then. That's awesome. So. I, now, how do you like working on? licensed product products as opposed to i mean i feel like with champions especially with fifth edition when you guys were kind of redefining everything yeah you you kind of had a carte blanche i mean first of all let me just say we we sold the ip to the video game operation right because jack emmert when he came on board swore blind he was never going to work on a piece of intellectual property he didn't own yeah right so we he came in you know, to like ownership of it. So, and then gave us a free license back to, you know, keep making new material. To do, oh, that's cool. Right? And they were wonderful to work with. They never said no to us about anything. Right? Mm-hmm. They loved, so we just continued to pump out new games under that, under that license to ourselves, basically, that he had, uh, you know. Well, one, I, I, one of the things I, I, I just want to say that I remember the point where I was, because I'd been playing fourth edition for so long at that point, And, I got the fifth edition book, but I hadn't read it. And then I saw Doctor Silverback in something, and I was like, "I'm sold." <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like, there you go. He's he actually was one of the ones I didn't sell. No. For it. I uh, Steve kept the rights to Harbinger. Okay. And I kept the the non gaming rights to Silverback and Black Mask. Really? Those were my those were my characters for it. And so, so I keep publishing hero stuff occasionally for it under Silverback Press. Is the name of the company that I do? Like really? I think we did, uh, you know, Golden Age Champions and a couple of other things. For it. So like the my Champs two Live favorite action. characters from that, the legacy character that I thought was really cool, and Doctor Silverback. Those are my two. P- those were literally my PCs back in the eighties and nineties. That's that amazing. Playing in Champions. Oh my god. So. Um, I'm <laughs> I like that I'm getting more excited as I talk to you, Darren. <laughs> no, it's fabulous. Um, uh, but. So, so, but you had that point where you kind of had some freedom, right? And then you've worked on, like, you know, Doctor Who and, and Star Trek. It's it's different working on stuff you own compared to stuff somebody else owns. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, when I work with a license, it's much more about the fun of like interacting with the thing that I'm already a fan of, mm-hmm. right? So it may be a little less, I don't want to say less creative, but you have less invested in the world because somebody else does that yeah like i'm when i'm doing a doctor who thing for this i'm doing this because i love doctor who and it's kind of like this is a promise to like eight-year-old me kind of thing that like you know someday i have the chance to actually do something like this to actually contribute to it you know oh 100 i can't pass that up Mm. but it's not the same as actually owning something that i'm doing myself but like i said i spent 11 years 
uh, doing that, doing that, and kind of you know, it's like yeah, there's a whole lot of other stuff that goes with owning a company. That's not the fun part, right? It's yeah. dealing with printers and dealing with shipping and dealing with all the you know other stuff for it. And after ten or eleven years, I kind of burned out on that. So yeah. now that I'm just freelancing, somebody else does all that stuff now. Now all I have to do is write, but it's tough to find. I mean, like licensed IP tend to be the people who are looking for freelancers like mm-hmm. me now, right? For it, I mean, like most people who have their own kind of in-house thing have their own in-house teams and aren't necessarily looking for outside writers. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if I go to work for Modiphius for Star Trek or I go to work for Cubicle 7 or I go to work for Sentinels, something like that for it, you know, they're, they own their own thing right. for this and they are looking for, you know, just professional writers to come in and to come in fill and, it out. Yeah. Right? So That's cool. I, there's, there's a different kind of gig, but it's still a fun one right? it's, because I, I get to pick. I, it's not like anybody, you know, put a gun to my head and said I had to work for Sentinels. Right. Right. Like I, right. I got to pick it because I liked it. You right. Know? So. That's that's cool. I, I, I feel like there's probably a different um, uh, uh, way of uh, I, 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 I want to say it's like writing between the lines like as opposed to just having a blank seat, sheet of paper you right, know yeah. like if you're doing a star trek thing um what's some of the stuff i uh my wife loves doctor who and i love doctor who as well right um and of course we're going to get to the your favorite doctor question but before we get there <laughs> right. um what's some of the stuff that that you saw uh with with developing that that pushed beyond what somebody might encounter if they only know the show. Within the game. Yeah. I mean, well, once again, it's a really nice, it's a smart piece of design in mm-hmm. the game. It's the, the, the Doctor Who uh, mechanics for it. Because Doctor Who can go anywhere and do anything, mm-hmm. right, and can get involved in any kind of story, they've really kind of like accidentally created an excellent generic system. Oh, right? okay. Because it needs to be able to cover, like Doctor Who's going to deal with robots one day and cowboys another day and monsters another day and you know all the other different things that it can cover makes which means like a good superhero rpg it needs to be super flexible yeah right and the doctor who system is super flexible it, yeah. is, it does a lot of really you know uh it, it can cover a wide range of things but it still feels like doctor who that's cool. right like the the initiative mechanic is anybody who wants to talk goes first mm-hmm. anybody who wants to run away goes second Okay. Anybody who wants to do something physical goes next. If you want to fight, you go last. Oh, that's right? so cool. That's a great understanding of how Doctor Who, the Doctor Who universe works. Yeah. Right? You can fight, but you're always going to be at the end of the line here for this to let everybody who either wants to talk or run away get their thing in. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a great understanding of genre built into the system. Right? And there's a lot of little things like that with, with Doctor Who. When I got started with them, I had, not, once again, had nothing to do with making those rules. The, sure. The designers were years before me. Um, but it was a question of, uh, the literally, I was talking to the, the owner of Cubicle 7, and he said, oh, we just worked out this deal where we got the rights to do the pre-Eccleston Doctor books, right? Like, that had been a separate licensing thing because their license began with Eccleston mm. and went forward. And so it wasn't until several years later that they had kind of like solved all of the licensing problems to do the first eight doctors, right? And so he tells me that, and I'm going like, you know, I'm like vibrating next to him <laughs> as this is going on. And he's like, why, do you want one? And I'm like, hell yes, I want one, right? And he's like, who do you want? And I'm like, I want Tom. Yeah. And he says, he says, he says, no, too bad. It's, you're American, you don't get Tom. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll take Peter. And he kind of like looks at <laughs> me and says, 
yeah, okay. Wow. I was like, that was the easiest job I ever got in my life, right? Because you could tell I was like so excited about it that mm-hmm. clearly, you know. So the, so the first book I did for Cubicle 7 was the Fifth Doctor source book. Oh, that's so cool. Source book, so. Oh, wow. Now, um, I mean, obviously you're going to research that. I, oh, yeah. It's, it's, you know, hey, they were paying me to watch them all again, right? <laughs> that's <laughs> great. You know, literally, <laughs> right? This is an actually a paid gig where I'm just sitting there with, you know, like a stack of DVDs going through watching the whole thing. So. When you're working on a project like that, especially with Doctor Who, because it's there's so many... Like, there's the show, and everybody knows the show. Right, yeah. But then there's, like, the um, the audio dramas, and mm-hmm. then there's... Well, the, the Cubicle 7 doesn't have the, the Doctor Who game does not have the right to the audio drama. Oh! That's a separate license okay. again for it. So, okay. Yeah. So, for example, when we got to the 8th Doctor book, yeah. all we had was the movie and the one... The one uh, The one short. Time War episode short, right? <laughs> so, when we wrote the 8th the Doctor one, first of all... We put it. We couldn't use the audiobook stuff as great as it is mm-hmm. for it, but we put in a bunch of stuff in the text that made it clear that we had heard them, kind of thing. Right? Oh, okay. So if you're a fan, you'll know. You know, like we didn't come out and say anything for it, but there's a bunch of references. And then in order to fill out the rest of the book, because it was otherwise going to be such a short book, the second half of the Eighth Doctor book is a one through eight campaign. Okay. Right, to just to fill out the thing. So it's like it's kind of like at the end of the first through eighth Doctor books, we end with a here is a campaign that involves eight all eight doctors. All eight doctors. Right. And like the Daleks are like trying to go back in time to like you know, they've they fired a bullet back in time that is, you know, like going to Very take cool. out the doctor at various points in his life along the you know Is it called the, the Eight Doctors? Uh, I don't remember if we were actually allowed to use that or okay. not. For it. That was that was the working title for yeah. it. But I think in the end I think it turned into it had to be something, something else. else. Yeah. But in, it is clearly, you know... In my head canon, it's exactly called the Exactly, right, yeah. I think we put an actual <laughs> title of, like, you know, because Daleks are up to something. I don't remember what the actual title was. But So how was it different between working with on that IP and Star Trek? Uh, well, the Star Trek... I mean, with, with the Doctor Ones, I was providing world information, mm-hmm. right, for it. Like, this is about... This, you know, the universe of the Fifth Doctor, right? Like, when sure. I'm writing that book, it's like, this is what it's like. This is what the genre feels like. These are the ways the Doctor changed from four to five and then from five to six, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you would see it on, on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm writing Star Trek, Star Trek within the game is just a setting, right? Like, I don't need to have give you information about what the Enterprise is like. Okay. Right? I, what we're doing is giving you a story for your, you know... Uh, for your stuff, so mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't do. I, I believe the Star Trek game has a bunch of stuff talking about, you know, the various shows and and the specifics on them. But what we were writing were just new adventures in that setting. Okay. Right. So we there there was no uh, like requirement for us to sit down and explain to you who the Ferengi are. Sure. Right. Which in the Doctor Who stuff we would have done. Right. 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 To actually kind of like walk you through in case you were new to this or you know like didn't know what it was. Whereas yeah. in the Star Trek stuff. It all editorially, we just kind of assume you've got all that stuff down already. Here's just a cool new story to interact with. Yeah, right. So it's okay. it's kind of like another step back from from the IP and more concerned about does this feel like a Star Trek story? Okay, right. Okay. And so everything that we put in the adventures has uh, like notes about depending on what era you're playing in, how to modify the story. So you can use this adventure for oh. classic Trek or for Next Generation or for Deep Space Nine or whatever. And here are the notes of like how you would change that depending on what it is you're already doing at your table. That's right? really neat. So, Huh. Um, okay. So, I mean, so two, I mean, they're two different 
uh, kind of projects overall. Yeah. Um, did you find one more restrictive than the other? And then, you know, is, I mean, I feel like you probably had a little bit more free reign at Sentinels than, than either of those. That, yeah. Well, well, yeah. Um, Sentinels, you know, we're, we're, we're building it. I'm, I'm, you know, we're kind of like present at the creation. Kind right, of right, right. We're not really, for either Star Trek or Doctor Who, have long since gone by. Right. right. Like the rules for both of those are pretty well established. Right. With Sentinels, you know, I, I got in early enough on the process that I, you know, was able to kind of participate in the idea of like, oh, how exactly are we going to do this? What, you know, what rules are we presenting? But even at that point, the card game had existed for years already, right. and the fan base had already like built up around the card game. So sitting down to do the RPG, we already had an avid fan base and a whole lot of history. Yeah. That was at least implied and had never really quite been. I mean, you know, Christopher and Adam do their podcast and all of their stuff about the, the what the history of the universe mm-hmm. is, but a lot of this had never been written down and never been organized. Right? It was all in Christopher's head, mm-hmm. and nobody had gotten it out onto you know papers. The first time I went to the uh, GTG offices in St. Louis, um, they had a room that was probably thirty by thirty, and arranged like literally stuck on the walls on like all six walls around this room were post-it notes that were color-coded like the paper they were on was color-coded and then the ink they were written on was color-coded organized vertically month by month from 1939 to 2015 what had been published that month like what stories and where things were that they were like rearranging and literally all doing it by post-it notes holy shit and I walked in to look at this going like this is the most insane thing I've ever seen. If anybody sneezes, you're going to lose like an entire portion of the universe. Can't we get somebody to make a spreadsheet out of this, right? Like Excel exists, guys. You know, like I'm, I don't mean to, you know. And they were like, but this is how we think about it. And it is so much easier to just grab a thing when we realize, oh, this couldn't have happened here. This has to happen over uh-huh. here, right? They're literally grabbing post-it notes off the wall and moving them around. And so you can find that um, Maggie took pictures of us sitting in the room. I'm like, so what? Do I just move into this room for the next six months while I'm writing this book? Of, you know, like, how do I, you know? And they're like, no, we'll, we'll, we'll turn this into a spreadsheet, but we're not done with it yet. It's not ready to be spreadsheeted because this is what it looks like in my brain, right? Was like, was, was Christopher. That's know? amazing. So, so we went through and we filled in, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, like the, you know, first uh, appearance of Cargo Warfang has to be at this point because it needs to be before this, but after this, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And just like arranging the continuity of the universe. Yeah. Christopher was so full of stories and more or less had it in his head, the order that they happened with, you know, but had never kind of like sat down to deal with what does, you know, like, what's the implication of this, right? Like, a whole bunch of things to him sort of just happened in the 80s, and he wasn't sure exactly mm-hmm. the order they happened in. And then you got a lot of uh, what we called the, the magical xylophones, right? Okay. The, the Simpsons reference for, right? There's supposed to be some sort of magical xylophone. Yep. Um, where, for example, the character Tachyon uh, must exist in the Sentinels universe before the particle was named Tachyon. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So clearly that means that whoever it was who discovered the particle named it after the character. Yep. Right? So now we just did a whole bunch of world building right there, right? Like clearly this Nobel Prize winning scientist was a big comic book fan. 
<laughs> in order to name, because Christopher hadn't like thought of when was Tachyon actually named, right? And like, well, it turns out if Tachyon needs to first appear in 1957 and they haven't discovered the Tachyon until 1962, well, you know, too bad. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's so, the, so we made a list of all of those, of, you know. With, it's the, the free lunch paradox. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, right. yeah. So when, when, uh, when uh, Arthur C. Clarke says uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, He's quoting Baron Blade, because Baron Blade said it first. <laughs> he said it first. <laughs> right? A thing we didn't discover until we sat down to build the timeline. Now it's, oh, shit, that's actually when that, okay. Yeah. yeah. Arthur C. Clarke must have been a big Sentinels fan. So, yeah. It's it's funny, because I know exactly how that goes, because I've uh, I spent a lot of years kind of trying to build my own comic book universe, and um, I found I would name things after stuff that happened. The One of the ones, one of the examples I have is, um, I had in uh, 1900, there was an evil doctor who used a seismic wave device called Dr. Richter. Yeah, right. And oh, same oops, thing. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, his nephew ends up being... <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, so we, you know, like I said, most of the time, and, and Christopher and Adam are so good-hearted about this, that yeah. like, when we make fun of them for that sort of thing, right, that's, they totally are, that's fine, whatever, so... I also like that approach too because it. Um, I love the idea of the no prize. That's, exactly. that's my right. way of approaching fandom in general. Absolutely. Um, and that's exactly what that is. Like exactly. we're not yeah, wrong. Explain, explain why we're right. Yeah, you know? exactly. And uh, and and in doing so, you kind of like inadvertently create setting, right? Yeah. Like it's once you've kind of like tried to explain this thing. Oh well, that means, you know, this or whatever, and it just makes it makes the universe that the characters are in feel more organic right? yeah it's like if, if you like go back and try to like not not undo the mistakes but just kind of paper them over that papering over creates world yeah. for you right like then now you've got like a thing to actually interact with well yeah if you know sentinel comics was really popular with scientists back in the 50s and 60s so that you know like nobel prize winning scientists were naming things after them for mm -hmm. that kind of tells me about what kind of comics they were publishing in the 50s and 60s right. right like clearly you know like this had to have some they were the original national it, comics right? clearly exactly. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah you know um that's awesome um i'm so I, there are now now there are there are uh, fandom questions that have come up okay so i'm gonna throw those out there okay i'm guessing i know the answer your favorite doctor I have great personal attachment to Peter. My favorite okay. stories are the Tom stories. Okay. Particularly like the the, the old Victorian Gothic, mm -hmm. you know, horror stuff that they were doing for it. But because I worked on Peter's book and I have since met him several times and become friends with him. I oh, wow. Right, we do a bunch of conventions together. Yeah. Right? Like we're on the same circuit of... Uh, and so, personally, he's my favorite doctor because he's just the nicest guy in the world. That's right? great. So, I, the, the first time we were guests together at a show was at Gen Con. Um... And, you know, I kind of came up to him because I had literally just written the Fifth Doctor book. And I was like, I just wrote a book about you. I have a million questions. Also, I'm also a guest, so you can't hide from me. I can go anywhere in this place you can, right? <laughs> so let's just get this over with now, you know? That's fantastic. And I was like, and, uh, you know, like, and, and my mom is an enormous fan mm -hmm. of Peter as an actor, not from Doctor Who, but from All Creatures Great and Small. Oh, okay. Right? And so I was like, you know, I would love to get, and I, I'm totally will stand in your line, whatever, you know, to do your charity signing thing or whatever for this. But I would really love to get an autographed picture of you from all creatures, not from Doctor. He kind of looks at me for a moment. He's going like, I've been going to conventions for 30 years. Not one person has ever asked me. For, I don't have an all creatures picture headshot or something. So we sat down and looked through his notebook and like found the oldest 
you know, like appropriate one of him, even if it's not from the set or anything, mm-hmm. from it, not in not in costume. And he signed it to my mom and sent it off for it. That's so it's just like awesome. this guy is the sweetest guy in the world. And we have since done, I think, three or four other cons, you know, that we were both guests at. So that's really cool. So he's my guy. He's your guy. So, yeah. yeah, that makes so. sense. I'm. Uh, I've always said Fourth Doctor will always be my favorite because. Uh, because my grandmother had a crush on him. Okay. It go, introduced right. me to both Doctor Who and like sci-fi geekdom in general. Right there you go. So that was my introduction. But I but I do I, love I think all four the doctors. And ten are the high points as a writer. Yeah. In the series. Oh yeah, those yeah. Are, those are the, the kind of like the two eras for it. But on the other hand, I also had a massive crush on Nissa. So you know, like what you know. I mean, I mean. So I was thirteen at the time. Yeah. First right? uh, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Um, but I, I, I have a love for all of them. That's that's what I say. I love them all equally. Absolutely. But my grandmother loved the fourth one, so. Yep. Um, uh, your favorite Star Trek series? I'm, I'm, once again, I admire the hell out of Next Generation and Deep mm-hmm. Space, but I'm a classic. You're I'm, a classic. I'm a TOS guy. I, I, so, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that's that. That's what I grew up with. Yeah. But, you know, I was I already in college by the time Next Generation came out, so, so you know. I rediscovered the animated series not too long ago, and it's a lot better than There's, I remember it being. Absolutely, yeah. There yeah. are several really good episodes in there for it, and there's stuff written by some great writers. Oh, yeah. Larry Niven did an episode of that. Right. right. I mean, it's so, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, awesome. Um, so then uh, the, the last thing I, I want to kind of ask in regards to fandom okay. is um, what is your favorite like comic book I don't want to say comic book character but like mm-hmm. like is there any comic is there any comic book project IP that out there that you would want to work on want to write on oh there's a million of them uh-huh. absolutely um well, you can't see this, but I'm wearing my Legion T-shirt right now here for this. I would love to straighten out the Legion. Oh, DC, like right now. For it. Yeah, I'd love to come back and like fix. If you need a co-writer for that, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you know, I want to fix the you know all the messed up continuity and everything for it. My my dream Legion project would be to do a Legion series right now that takes place like a hundred years after the Magic War, mm. right? And just like ignore all of the continuity snarls, mm-hmm. you know, just be like like like. Star Trek classic to next generation, right? Like, we're just jumping over a whole period of time. Yeah. I want to come in with, you know, like, the world after that, and I want to have a bunch of new characters but still keep the Legion setting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I want to tell the story of Brainiac 6. Yeah. Right? You yeah. Know, all the other, you know, like, everything to, like, kind of spin off time after that. That would be a dream project. Um, I really want to write a Dead Man series. Ooh. Right? I love Dead Man. Oh, that's a good all, one. I love all the 70s Kirby stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I would love to do a New God story. I would love to do an Eternal story. I would love to do a Commandy story, right? Like, all that ah. all that stuff that Grant Morrison has kind of, like, claimed relatively recently. <laughs> that's true. I would kind of like to, I'd like to take back and, you know, like, mm-hmm. do do my, you know, takes on them. Those are the guys that I that's love. That's fantastic. Right? So, um yeah, those are, those, those, are, yeah. those would be my big ones. For it, those are great answers. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, what do you have next? What's what's what you, uh, is there anything? Once, well, the Sentinels book is still not quite finished. You're still, yeah. You know, the, they are still kind of like piecing together the last bits, so it's still sitting on my desk, and we keep updating the the price guide, right? Like every time some new thing has changed in the you know continuity, it's like, oh wait, I got to go back and change the prices on those comics. Mm-hmm. Now. That's clearly much more collectible than I thought it was. <laughs> you know. That, that, that's clearly going to cost, you know, 
200 bucks instead of just the 50 bucks that I gave it last time or whatever, <laughs> now that you've put this cool event in that story. Um, so that's kind of sitting there. That's been 90% done for a bit, and it's just kind of waiting for the last uh, parts. Mm -hmm. uh, I have just done my first card game, um, which is uh, based on the We Rate Dogs Twitter account. Okay. For, uh, we licensed that, so we have a game called We Rate Dogs. Oh, okay. And uh, that is that dropped to retail at the end of April, so that is just okay. out now. I'm not really quite sure. I haven't gotten the sales figures yet back from it, but they pre-ordered really well, so, uh, you know. My wife will be getting a copy of that's that like, when I return go. home. There you go. <laughs> he, again, he's been great to work with. Matt has yeah. been fabulous. We were, we were working on... So the, the genesis of the game was we were live-tweeting Westminster mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. Some friends of mine and I sure. making fun of it just because we love watching the show. And our joke was that we were calling it like it was an actual sports event, right? Like we were making <laughs> up stats and it's, well, oh, the Pomeranian just wanted it more, you know, kind of thing. Oh, we don't want to put any quotes in the locker room, you know, kind of thing that will get them all worked up. So, <laughs> so as we're doing this, like a couple of my friends were like, this is really funny. We should make a game out of this, yeah. right? I was like, okay, well, you know, if you make a dog card game, I know dog shows. I'll totally write the fluff for your, for your dog show game. Whatever, That's right? amazing. So the whole time we're working on this, throwing together this thing, and this was just going to be a little throwaway. Maybe we'll kickstart it for fifteen or twenty thousand or something, and just get it done and, mm -hmm. and out. The whole time we were doing it, we kept making we raid dogs jokes because we were fans of the account. <laughs> we think it's funny, right? And so, like the fifth or sixth we raid dogs joke that went by, uh, Steve Tasker says, uh, "Has anybody ever called him? Is that a thing that you could license, or you know, like, is who is he, right?" And so we tracked him down. His name is Matt Nelson. He's 27 years old. He lives in Pennsylvania and made a fortune off, you know, like selling ads on his account, uh, you know, his Twitter mm -hmm. account sorry, for us. And we call him up and tell him the, you know, the basics of the, of the thing. He's like, not only yes, but I forbid you to go any farther without me, <laughs> right? I totally want a card game. I think that would be awesome to do. But you have to take out all of the breed stuff, right? Because mm -hmm. the aesthetic of We Ray Dogs is mutts are awesome. Uh, right? okay. So you can't have any of the like, you know, like, oh, is this a good German Shepherd kind of thing? No, it's just, is this a good dog? Mm -hmm. And we're like, you just made our game a hundred times better, <laughs> right? Like that's that's actually way cooler than what we were doing. So we completely rewrote the game to like match the We Rate Dogs aesthetic, and then we kind of looked at each other and we're like, he's got what, eighteen million followers? We need a bigger boat. Yeah. Right? Like this is not kickstartering. This is just not going to be plausible. So we wound up taking it to Chronicle Books. Um, because they know memes, right? Like okay. they were Grumpy Cat's publisher and stuff like okay. that. Right? So they know how to market and deal with that kind of, you know, like, so we brought it to them and said, hey, we've already signed Matt. Are you interested in publishing this? And they were absolutely yes. And they made it look gorgeous. Their graphics department is amazing. And, you know, they got it, like I said, they put it out, uh, came out the end of April and it's beautiful to look at and yeah. selling apparently, as far as I know, very well. So it pre-ordered very well. So, that's awesome. The day Chronicle, you know, like gets serious about games, yeah, there'll be a huge publisher in this industry. Oh right? yeah, because they already know all the hard stuff, right? Yeah. Like they know how to do, how to get a game into Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Target and stuff like that. You know, mm. so they've got they've got the hard parts down. They just need to figure out how to get their stuff into game stores, mm -hmm. right? I can teach them that. You know? That's true. <laughs> so I mean, that's, that's a thing you understand. That's the easy side, yeah. of, you know, uh, of doing this. So that's awesome. So, so they've been a joy to work with. Matt's been a joy to work with. Yeah. So we were in People Magazine. You know, I've never had a game in People Magazine before. That's not a you know. Usually, so my cool. side of the of, of the gig does not get that kind of you know like exposure. So you know. yeah. Um, well, that I mean, that's 
I'm, I'm, yeah, I am excited to bring that home to, to my, my, I'm going to play it too, but my wife's going to be super excited. There you go. It. Excellent. It's full of adorable dogs. Man. Yeah. It's hundreds of, hundreds of cards of adorable dogs. So. Um, do you have anything else that, that, that's like on the burner? Or? I'm currently working on a Savage World setting with mm. my good friend, Jess Nevins. Okay. Uh, that is basically, uh, we are refighting the Cold War with Kaiju. The third bomb we drop on Japan wakes up the monsters. Okay. And uh, from that point on, you know, history has changed. And instead of the Cold War being kind of, you know, like a nuclear stalemate, uh, it becomes a stalemate over the science that we have learned from the giant monsters. Because clearly, if giant monsters exist, the cube square, square cube rule is out the window. Right? Yeah. Like that's clearly we. There's a whole new kind of physics we have to learn. Yeah. And once we have learned that, then we have cool gadgets and weapons and stuff to you know kind of like use against each other. So we are racing around the world, competing for either you know capturing and or killing giant monsters, and then like using that science to like continue the Cold War basically. Ah. So. Wow. Um, so we're all you know, the, the PCs are all kind of you know like Johnny Quest type scientists or Super Mario Oh, that's like, so amazing. You know. The color-coded jumpsuits kind of thing, and then cool, you know, vehicles. and it's 100% what I was imagining. A, oh, yeah, totally. So. Oh, that's so great. Is that going to be kickstarted? or yes. are you, okay. Yeah, we're working with uh, Battlefield Press. Okay. Jonathan Thompson is going to be the uh, publisher for it, but we are literally still in the writing and playtesting part of it. Like, it's what my home group is testing right now. Here's so. the good news. When you're ready to kickstart, you can come <laughs> back on the lounge. Sure, yeah. You can do absolutely. another hour, because I love chatting with you. Absolutely. Be delighted. Um... And uh, and then we can we can really get into the nitty gritty of that because I'm now excited about there that. There you go. It's Savage um, Worlds is brand new to me, so like part of doing this, I'm, I'm delighted with it so far. Yeah, was the new edition, the the suede edition for it has been great fun to work with. It's really nice. Um, but all the time, you know, when Savage Worlds kind of like hit its peak, I was with Hero at the time, so mm-hmm. they were kind of like, oh, they're the competition. I don't actually play their game, kind <laughs> of thing, right? Even though I knew that you, they did really good stuff. I was unfamiliar with the with the setting, so I have spent the last few months, um, you know, the last few cons that I've gone to, mm-hmm. kind of like sitting down with people to like see how they do Savage Worlds and how that actually works, and I'm really d- delighted with it. I think it's very cool. There's I so I didn't really know Savage Worlds until um, I actually was was in the process of creating a variation on riffs for another mm-hmm. system, and. Right. Somebody's like, Savage Rush is coming out. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to wait to see how this Let's is. see what that looks like, right. And that's how I learned Savage Worlds. And I realized that's like the sideways of learning. <laughs> but, but, like, you can do those epic big things that work with Kaiju really well. I really wanted, I wanted a game when we were picking what system this was going to be. Because we'd written the premise before we picked what system it was going to mm-hmm. be. And I very much wanted a game that was crunchy enough that differences between gadgets would matter. Yeah. Right? Like I didn't want this game to be I have Raygun one D six kind of thing. I wanted it I wanted to have, you know, like the Soviet ray gun and the US ray guns or whatever to be slightly different and to have people be able to argue over which one was better. Yeah. Right? And I wanted to have, you know, something where vehicles were cool and interesting and had a cool combat system. The suede chase uh, design mechanic is tremendous. Mm-hmm. I think it's really really good. So I, that's that's why we wound up picking it was just that like I said we wanted to have that kind of like granularity of stuff of toys but still have a game that was fast paced that was yeah. adventurous that like you know had kind of a modern uh, you know and it's uh, a it's a nice aesthetic to it so. fun middle crunch game yeah, too exactly. yeah yeah exactly so, so oh that's so exciting and um, then the you know 
by the time we were coming up with deciding to do that, that's when Suede was kickstarting, and then that Kickstarter went off for whatever four hundred and whatever grand mm -hmm. that it made up, and we're like, yeah, there's a fan base there too, so let's make sure we let's feed them something here for this. That's perfect. So that's um, why we found Jonathan for it because he had published Savage World stuff before. He's, oh, okay. Of the three of us, he's the one who knows Savage Worlds the best. So he's kind of you know like that helping steer me and Jess through you know like. Oh no! Wait, you should look at this other book here. They've got some dinosaurs. You can build your kaiju up from the dinosaurs. Try this, so, yeah. Um, so. That's awesome, um, Darren. This has been fantastic. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, social uh, media. So I was going to say my yeah regular social media. Since I've like you know I, I, since I mostly freelance now, I don't have like my own site or mm -hmm. anything here for it. Um, but I usually work with the double exposure crowd at cons. So, okay. Uh, anything uh, you know with the. Envoy and Herald System. I'm also the managing director of uh, the Envoy program. So, if you need to find me at a show, go look up where the Envoy uh, section is. So. Fantastic, awesome. Thank you so much, Darren. Not at all. It's been a delight. Um, me. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been great t chatting with you. And I think you're probably going to be my wife's favorite interview. Oh, <laughs> hi, hi, wife. What's your name? Kristen. Hi, Kristen. How are you? <laughs> Isn't he an awesome guy? Oh, I could have just talked to him forever. Um, I want to thank him. I want to thank Darren Watts once again for being as patient as he has been. It's been a few months. I'm glad that I can put this out when we've got uh, another a new awesome Kickstarter going on. Um, go check out uh, Explorers of the Fantastic on Kickstarter right now. Get it up there. I want some of those stretch goals for my for my copy. So let's do that. And besides finding Darren in the reams and reams of books that he has uh, worked on, you can also find him at Darren Watts twenty seven on Twitter. Go check check him out. Follow him. Everything he does is great. So, um, but speaking of my wife, hey, here she is now. The Lounge is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs, with lots of great shows like this one. Panda's Talking Games. Phil and Senda answer your questions about RPGs from the perspective of one-shots and campaigns, with some panda silliness. The Lounge theme, and so it begins by artificial music, is used under Creative Commons 3.0. Support Contessa at Contessa.rocks. Find your host, Jesse Doc Admin, at Doc Palindrome on Twitter. All the links from this episode can be found in the episode description. Stay classy, lounge lizards.